going to ask you to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 56. Psalm 56. The title of my message this morning is Surrounded on Every Side. David wrote Psalm 56, and he knew what it was like to be surrounded on every side by enemies. He also knew what it was like to be surrounded on every side by the Lord. And we all know when we look at God's Word that to be surrounded by the Lord is far greater even than to be surrounded by enemies. I'm going to ask you to follow along with me as I read through Psalm 56. Starting in verse 1, David writes, Be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples on me. All day long an attacker oppresses me. My enemies trample on me all day long, for many attack me proudly. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? All day long they injure my cause. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They stir up strife, they lurk. They watch my steps as they have waited for my life. For their crime will they escape. In wrath, cast down the peoples, O God. You have kept count of my tossings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know that God is for me. In God whose word I praise, in the Lord whose word I praise, in God I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? I must perform my vows to you, O God. I will render thank offerings to you. For you have delivered my soul from death, yes, my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. Let's go before the Lord in prayer right now. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you that we can come before you in prayer right now through the righteousness of your Son, Jesus Christ, that has been credited to our account, that we can come before you through the shed blood of Christ is something that should keep us humble and grateful at all times. I pray, Father, that as we open your word, your spirit would give us understanding, guide us as we read and interpret and apply your truth. God, have your way in us this morning. Minister to each life as you see fit and bring great honor and glory to your matchless name. I pray this in Jesus' name alone. Amen. The last two opportunities that I had to preach here in church, I preached on Psalm chapter 2 the first time and then Revelation chapter 21. And I don't know if many of you remember, but Psalm chapter 2 speaks of God's anointed king. God's anointed king who will rule and reign over all of creation after he's conquered all of his enemies, after he's put an end to sin and rebellion. And Revelation chapter 21 speaks of the triune God and how he's going to put down all of his enemies and he's going to create a new heaven and a new earth. He's going to dwell with his people for all eternity. He's going to make all things new. These passages should bring us hope. 
The challenge is that we still live in a fallen, sin-cursed world, and though Jesus' kingdom is coming, it's not here yet. And the enemies of the Lord and of His people are all around us. In this world, presently, Christians, we are surrounded on every side. David in Psalm 56 writes about the time when he fled from Saul, who was seeking his death continually. He fled to Gath. I don't know if you know much about Gath. Gath was one of the five major cities of the Philistines. The Philistines knew who David was. David killed the Philistine, Goliath, whose hometown, by the way, was in Gath. You might say, I thought David was smarter than that. Not only that, David stopped and uh, met with a priest in Nob, and the priest gave him a sword because David didn't have one. David asked him, do you have a weapon I could use? I don't have one. I was kind of running for my life. I didn't have a chance to pack. And the priest says, well, the only thing I have here is Goliath's sword. David says, give it to me. There's none like it. So David is going to Gath, where Goliath used to live, and he's carrying Goliath's sword. Now, you might be totally convinced that David is not the most intelligent man on the face of the planet. He was in such danger in his homeland that it was safer to go live in Gath. And it was through no fault of his own. David's life was in danger through no fault of his own. And I'm going to give you a brief overview here in a few minutes of what David's most recent years were like. They were pretty incredible. They were the highest of highs and they were the lowest of lows. And so he flees to Gath and things were fine there for a time. But the reprieve didn't last long because the servants of King Achish of Gath, they reminded him, oh, hey, by the way, this David guy, you should remember him. He's the king of the land. That's how they described him. Not just the king of Israel, he's the king of the land. Oh, and people wrote songs about him. Saul killed his thousands and David killed his ten thousands. And then King Achish of Gath is thinking it's not such a good idea anymore that David's around. David realizes this, and the text in 1 Samuel 21 says that David was greatly afraid of King Achish of Gath, and so David pretended to lose his sanity. He would go out by the the city gate where all the people did business, where legal transactions took place, and he scribbled on the gate like he had lost his mind. He let saliva uh, come down on his beard. King Achish looks at him and he says, basically, this is a paraphrase just to save us some time, don't I have enough crazy people that live around me already? Do I need this one to come live with me too? And he basically let him go free. And David fled. Where'd David go from there? He went to a cave in Adullam. So he goes from Israel, being celebrated with songs sung about him, to living with the enemy, to then living in a cave. And yet, God knew it all. 
God didn't fall off his throne. God didn't look down and say, I don't really know how to handle Saul. I don't really know how to handle the Philistines. So David's going to have to figure this out on his own. That's not the way it works. You may be wondering that in your own life, whether it's disease or relationships that are crumbling or have imploded, uncertainty everywhere. And yet God knows. He didn't catch him by surprise. He's not wringing his hands in heaven. He's not worried. He doesn't come up with a backup plan. God's will will be accomplished regardless of what happens on the face of this earth. But David had to ask himself the question, just as I'm posing to you this morning, what do you do when you are surrounded on every side? Because Psalm 56 talks about the time before he was able to flee safely from Gath. What do you do? David tells us, and it's going to seem elementary to you, and you're going to say, that's it. What do you do when you're surrounded on every side? David says you pray for help when you're surrounded. You may say, prayer. Maybe some of you have been Christians for a long time, and you walk closely enough with the Lord that you say, of course that's the answer. You pray when you're in trouble. For some of the rest of you here this morning, you might be discouraged, you might be disillusioned, and you say, pray, isn't there more than that? Isn't there more that, that I can do than, than just pray? When have you found yourself recently talking to someone who's going through a really difficult time and you either thought this or said this, I wish I could do more, but all I can do is just pray for you. Just pray for you. When we say things like that or when we think things like that, we are betraying our own hearts that we don't really grasp how great and awesome and powerful our God is who reigns over every square inch of this universe. And he can certainly do a whole lot more for the people we are praying for than we can actually do in the long run. I don't care how smart we are, how many books we've read, how we can build things, how we can look things up on the internet, we cannot truly help another individual human being as much as the God of all creation can. It's not just praying. If you've walked through valleys, you know God is all you have most times. All you have. What David does is he prays, and in verses 1 and 2, he relates his problem to the Lord. And it's not as though God didn't know. Sometimes we think, well, God already knows this. Why bother him with it? He wants us to. He commands us over and over again in the Scriptures to pray. He says in Psalm 55, which is quoted in 1 Peter 5, to cast all of your cares upon him. He doesn't get worn out. You and I, you might hear enough problems and say, I can't take anymore. God never gets to that point. Never. David tells God what his problem is, and in verse 1, he seeks God's gracious deliverance. 
And he tells God, why? For man tramples on me. I have to say I'm thankful I've never literally been trampled on before. I hope to never experience it. I would imagine it's not very pleasant. In this case, it's figurative. He says these individuals, not just in Gath, but even in, at home in Israel, they are just running all over the top of David, and he's saying, God, I need help here. They're trampling on me. They're pursuing me to harm me. Not only that, all day long an attacker oppresses me. It's not just isolated incidents. He is under attack continually. You ever feel like that? Do you ever feel like that? That's part of where the saying comes from, when it rains, it pours. Sometimes you feel like you you just can't get a breath because the, the troubles or the attacks, they just keep coming. They keep piling on. And that's what David's experiencing. You say, well, Wow. I felt like I might be the only one. No, you're not the only one. The one who wants to make you feel like you're the only one who's ever gone through the trouble and the pain that you're going through is Satan because he wants you to feel like you're alone, that God doesn't care and no one ever else has experienced such pain and loss as as you are experiencing. Since the fall, believers in the one true God have experienced terrible loss and pain continually continually. Here we see the opposition described as singular, man and an attacker. We look at verse 2 and David says, my enemies, plural, trample on me all day long for many attack me proudly. Verse 2 is parallel to verse 1. The Psalms are poetry. It's parallel, and he is emphasizing even further, my enemy is not just singular, I have many enemies. And, and all of them are doing the same thing. All of my enemies are trampling on me, and they're all attacking me, they're oppressing me. And why? What did David do? David didn't do anything other than honor God. He was on the run for his life because Saul was jealous of him. He was on the run for his life because the Philistines... They didn't exactly like him all that much since he killed their champion. And why did he kill their champion? Because Saul nor anyone else among the Israelite army was willing to go forth and defend the name of God. You might say, well, you know, Goliath was a really big guy. That didn't sound like it was that fair of a fight. Who would really want to sign up for that? When David said, I'll go fight, he didn't say, you know what, I like my chances here. He said, I am going to go and fight against this Philistine who defies the name of God. So who was he fighting for? Not himself. He was fighting for the name and the reputation of God. There's something different about this David. So you might say that he is suffering unjustly. Think about that continual opposition. He runs from Israel. He ends up in Gath. And not too far from now, he's going to run to a cave. That's it. How many of you have heard of David's mighty men of valor? You read the Chronicles and you say, wow, those guys were incredible. 
One of them went down and fought with a lion in a snowy pit, grabbed him and killed him. They were like the special forces of all special forces that could ever exist in human history. Do you know who they were? They were outcasts, criminals, people that fled because they had nowhere else to go. Where'd they go? To the cave with David. And then God turned them into an elite fighting force. Have you ever felt the crushing weight of worry and burden? I know you have. Even as Christians, we face that. Sometimes you feel like you're going to be crushed or explode. And I'm telling you, and we've all done this, if you hold it in and you try to cope with it, it gets worse. In such moments, we're not trusting in the Lord and His power and His might. We're trusting in human means to solve problems that only God can fix. So David remembers in verses 3 and 4, he remembers his hope. He says, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? He reminds himself of who God is. There are times when David says, my soul, why are you cast down? Hope in the Lord. David says, when I am afraid, not if I am afraid, when. Because he is a man after God's own heart is still prone to fear. 1 Samuel 21 verse 12 says that he was greatly afraid of Achish, king of Gath. And so when he was afraid on these multiple occasions, he puts his trust in God. Because King Achish of Gath wasn't his only problem. Saul was still looking for him. As I said before, I was going to give you an overview of, of recent events in David's life. 1 Samuel 16, 13 tells us that David was anointed as king over Israel and the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. That was a pretty incredible moment. His father didn't think that David was even an option to become king in Israel. 1 Samuel 16, 14 through 23 says he becomes the liar player that brings comfort to Saul when an evil spirit would come upon Saul and he ultimately became Saul's armor bearer, which meant he was greatly trusted. 1 Samuel 17 says he killed Goliath the Philistine from Gath. 1 Samuel 18, 1 to 5, he becomes friends with Saul's son, Jonathan. Everything so far is, is pretty good, right? Pretty good. He becomes one of the most trusted individuals to the king. He gets set over the men of war by Saul in 1 Samuel 18, 5. 1 Samuel 18, 6 through 7 says that David becomes the subject of songs, declaring his military conquest, that he killed his ten thousands. That's about where the good stuff ends. Because Saul hears of the songs and he says, what else is there except for David to become king? Saul was king. He wanted to stay king. The problem for Saul was that God had already rejected Saul as king because Saul was an ungodly king. He went and sacrificed an animal as a good luck charm when he wasn't a priest and God said that he had rejected Saul as king. Not only that, he left Agag alive, which he wasn't supposed to do. 
the king of the enemy. So instead of repenting, Saul takes out his jealousy and anger on David, and he seeks to kill him, much like Cain towards Abel. Despite all this, David was faithful and obedient to the Lord. David puts his trust in God, and we see in verse 4 that uh, there's a phrase that's repeated, in God, whose word I praise, in God I trust. In Hebrew, and especially in poetry, when phrases are repeated, it's for emphasis. Where is David's trust? In God. He doesn't know anything of any mighty men yet. He's not looking to his brothers. He's not looking to his father. He's not looking to anyone in Israel, any merely human being. He's not making some sort of alliance with the Philistines. He is looking to God because he knows God is his only hope. And as a result, he reminds himself that he won't be afraid because what can flesh, what can human beings do to him? Anything that would happen to David, he understood was in the sovereign plan of God. Whether you suffer, whether you experience loss, or even death is not outside the sovereignty of God. So David puts his trust in him because he knows God to be good. How does he know God to be good? He knows by experience. Not only does he know by experience, he knows from the Word of God that God is good. If you think, how could David have such trust in God after hearing about those awful or difficult things that he's experiencing? Because he walked with him personally. He wasn't just casually acquainted with who God is. He wasn't just casually acquainted with the Word of God. He didn't dabble in the Word of God. He ingested it. Which is part of the reason why he was a man after God's own heart. Did you realize that from the very beginning when God was was telling the Israelites what it would be like for them to have a king, he told them the, the... unpleasant parts. And then he told them that a king in Israel is supposed to be an expert in God's Word, an expert in God's law, because if he's supposed to lead the people like God would want him to lead them, he needs to know what God wants, which is in the Bible. David took that seriously, and he loved God's Word, and he knew God's Word. David wasn't afraid because he knows that the Lord is greater than man. Matthew chapter 10, Jesus told his disciples, do not fear man who can kill, uh, cannot kill your soul, but fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell, who is God. When you look and you think David knows God, he knows how powerful he is, should he stay afraid of these circumstances? And he says, no, I'm going to put my trust in the Lord. I'm not going to live here or be paralyzed in fear. What sort of oppositions do you and I experience? For the longest time, we've said, you know, as Christians, and this is still relatively true, for the longest time, we've said as Christians that the opposition or persecution that we face in the United States is really not all that bad. The heat's going up, isn't it? I don't mean literally here in the auditorium. I mean things are getting more 
dangerous. Things are not as friendly towards Christians in this country or this world as they once were. And we could sit back and we could moan and groan about that, or we could cry out to our God and we could be about the business that God has given us, which is to make disciples of Jesus Christ and to walk in the light of His Word. But don't forget I started with crying out to Him. Because if we think that we're just going to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and we're going to go and face the opposition that the world has to bring on our own, it's not going to work. Apart from the Lord, we can do nothing. Remember that. Nothing. We are sustained by Him. We are strengthened by Him. We are encouraged by Him. David wasn't going to fear the people because he knew that they were flesh and blood. They were dust, just like he is. And yet God is spirit, infinite and omnipresent and omnipresent. Omniscient, omnipresent, I lost my train of thought. See, that happens. See, it's the Lord that has to do it. David's not going to fear because he knows that God is sufficient for the situation. I told you that David was intimately acquainted with the Word of God, that he knew the person and the character of God. What is our knowledge of God like? Are we spending continual, consistent time with him in prayer and in his word? You see, I come back to that again as I started out, and I said, when we are in trouble, when we're surrounded on every side, we need to pray. And I told you that some of you are going to respond and think, well, is that it? And then I tell you that you need to get into his word because that's what will remind you of who God is, his power in his person, in his character, in his faithful acts for his people in the past, and his promises for the present and the future. And we need to be reminded by that because when we face the opposition, and the opposition seems scary, we need to be reminded not of our circumstances, we, be, we need to be reminded of our God. And we're going to be reminded of our God from his word. from his word. David goes on again in verses 5 to 7, and he continues with his complaint, with his plea to God. He says, all day long they injure my cause. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They stir up strife. They lurk. They watch my steps as they've waited for my life. For their crime will they escape in wrath. Cast down the peoples, O God. The verb in verse 5 could be translated that they twist his words instead of injure his cause. The point is, the foes are continually after David, seeking his harm, seeking to ruin him. They're manipulators and slanderers. Their concern is not for the glory of God, but the keeping of their own authority in place. Their every thought, David says, is in opposition to him. Have you ever had a person in your life that seems motivated by your ruin? If 
No matter what you say, the person twists your words. No matter what you do, the person accuses you of wrongdoing. These foes are assassinating David's character, ruining his reputation, and planting seeds of suspicion toward him. And yet the Lord knows it all. He sees it. He's in control. He hasn't forgotten about you, and he didn't forget about David. Hopefully early on in your Christian life, when you were taught that Christians still sin, Christians still need to confess their sin to God as believers and receive His forgiveness and cleansing to be restored to fellowship with Him. Somewhere along the line, hopefully you were taught that. And hopefully you were taught that as Christians, you should call sin. We should call sin what it is. If we lie, we should say, God, forgive me for lying. If we steal, we should say, God, forgive me for stealing. We shouldn't say, you know, God, forgive me, I stretch the truth a little. We should call sin what it is. And in these cases, when we have trials, when we have pain and we have suffering, we have confusion, we should tell God what we're thinking. He knows anyway. And that's what David does. He tells God. He casts his burden upon him because David believed that God cared for him. These opponents, they stir up strife, attempting to cause him problems. They're trying to get everyone to dislike David to think twice about him. They watch every move that he makes, looking for an opportunity to accuse him of wrongdoing. Was David the only believer in the Bible that ever experienced that? Say no. What did the Babylonians do to Daniel? They knew Daniel loved God. They knew Daniel honored God. And when the the ruler of Babylon made an ungodly law, they waited to catch Daniel and accuse him of wrongdoing. What did the religious leaders do to Jesus? They continually looked for opportunities to catch him in something that he was saying so that he could, could accuse him of wrongdoing. Do you realize what the crime was that they ultimately accused him of? That he declared himself to be God. Which he is. They could find no wrongdoing. Daniel honored God. David honored God. You will find instances in your life, whether it's in your neighborhood, in your workplace, sadly sometimes in your church, where you'll face attacks. And yet God knows and He's sufficient. And by His grace, remain faithful to Him. The psalmist asked the Lord in verse 7, will these foes get away with their wrongdoing? Have you ever wondered that? When someone does wrong to you or someone you love or, or just wrong in general in society and you wonder, God, is that person going to get away with that? You see the individual maybe goes to jail for a short time, is out, or lives in a country club with a security guard nearby, and you say, God, is that person really going to get away with that? No. No. The judge of all the earth always does what is right. He always does what is right. 
And David says something here that might make you uncomfortable. After he asks God if the, the individuals get away with the crime that they've committed, he says, in wrath cast down the peoples, O God. And you look at that and you say, wait a second. Okay, maybe David says that. I don't really know what to do with that. But as Christians, aren't we supposed to forgive as we were forgiven? Yes. As Christians, we're not supposed to take vengeance. Right, we're not. David's not taking vengeance here. David is committing vengeance to the Lord. He is leaving room for wrath, as Romans tells us. Romans tells us, so far as depends on you to be at peace with all men, he says, to leave room for wrath because vengeance is mine, says the Lord. David is committing vengeance to God and saying, God, you deal with this situation and handle it as you see fit. He doesn't go looking for vengeance himself. Let me tell you, brothers and sisters, there are going to be times when you should apply what David is doing here praying for God to deal with the situation and the person. Because that is us casting our cares and our burdens upon Him. He leaves it with the Lord. If you're wondering what I was quoting from Romans, it's Romans 12, 17 to 21. To leave room for wrath, for vengeance belongs to God. So I've encouraged you to pray when you're surrounded. What else do you do when you're surrounded? You place your confidence in the Lord when you're surrounded. That's what David does in verses 8 to 13. David says that the Lord knows his trials. He says, you have kept count of my tossings, my wanderings, it could be rendered. Put my tears in your bottle, are they not in your book? As David has gone through this, every step of the way, God was aware of it all. Aware of it all. He wasn't forgetful. He wasn't absent. You know, when Elijah is on Mount Carmel and he says to the prophets of Baal, you know, maybe he's on a journey. God never goes on a journey. He's always there. He never naps like Elijah said about uh, Baal. Our God is the one true God in every single difficult and painful thing that we go through in our lives. Our God is aware of it all and he cares. He cares. And don't believe the people that tell you that God couldn't really stop the difficult or painful thing that happened to you. Our God is sovereign. He is not the author of sin, and He does not approve of sin. But don't limit our God. He allows things for His glory and for our good, but He is not limited. David says that God put his tears in a bottle, literally it refers to a wineskin. This idea, this image of God collecting all of David's tears inside of a wineskin that would then be full. You think about that for a moment? That our God is aware of every single tear that you shed, brothers and sisters, as you go through trial and pain and suffering and loss every single one, every single one. And the point here that David is making is that if God would be so intimately 
involved in the lives of his servants, God won't forsake him. God won't abandon him and leave him alone to figure things out himself. He says, are they not in your book? God knows. The Lord knows the experience of David. He knows your experience as his follower, and he keeps an account. He says in verse 9, then my enemies will turn back. So he reminded himself of God's concern and love for him. And then he says in verse 9, then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. I was thinking about this. David is, is portraying here that as he cries out to God for help, he says, when God shows up, the enemy's going to take off because they don't want to deal with God. They don't want to deal with God because they can't compare with him. They would be in awe of his holiness and in his might and his power. God cares for his people. David says he's confident of this at the end of verse 9, that God is for him. Why is that? Was, was David any different than any other follower of God? No. He had a role that God gave him, and he was saved by grace through faith, the same as every other follower of the one true God. Was God somehow more powerful back then than he is now? Was God somehow more concerned for his people back then than he is now? No. He is the same God that he was back then as he is now. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You might say, well, I'm not David. I'm not a man after God's own heart. How am I going to talk to God like this? When you're in the midst of a storm, if you're anything like me, you don't usually have the words to say, right, to God. You feel so overwhelmed that it's almost like you can't even get them out. I would encourage you, go find a psalm that speaks to the problems of your life, and pray that to God. You realize that that's why the Psalms are there, for our edification. Cast your burdens upon Him. Place your confidence in Him. In verses 10 and 11, the psalmist returns to the themes of verses 3 and 4. He says, in God whose word I praise, in the Lord whose word I praise, in God I trust. Three times he mentions the name of God. Elohim twice and Yahweh once. For emphasis. As he closes out the psalm, he is emphasizing to God, I put my trust in you. David was an incredible man of war. Incredible. It's why there were songs written about him and sung about him. He's not relying on his military or combat prowess and training here. He's not giving the speech about how he captured, uh, killed a bear and a lion, or even Goliath. He's saying, God, in the midst of this, I have nowhere else to turn, and so I turn to you because you are my hope and my strength. Are you there right now? Are you in the spot where you feel like you're all alone and you have no strength left? 
cry out to your God. His grace is sufficient. He also focuses on the Word of God. He mentions that twice. In whose word I praise. Love of God's Word leads to worship. As you grow in your love for God's Word and you grow in your love for God, you will respond in worship and praise to Him. When you're in the midst of the valley and God arrives and He gives you peace, Moments like that that overwhelm you and you give him thanks for not abandoning you. Love of his word results in worship. Love of the word of God strengthens our trust in him. He once again expresses that he need not be afraid. If God is for him, who could be against him? As I mentioned earlier, Matthew 10, 28, we should not fear those who can kill the body but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell, Matthew 10, 28. I don't know how many of you are watching the news right now. The Taliban is overtaking the capital in Afghanistan. Word has come back to Christians in the United States from church planters in Afghanistan. Did you know, regardless of what your thoughts are on the United States military being in Afghanistan or not, or any of all of that, it opened doors for Christians to start church planting networks in Afghanistan and take the gospel to people in Afghanistan. The Taliban has already sent communication to those church planters and let them know, we know who you are, we know where you are, and we know what you're doing. And the believers sent messages to Christians in the United States and around the world and asked them to pray because they said, we have no intention of leaving. It makes me think of Revelation. They love not their own lives unto death. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. Because they really believe the gospel. They really believe that even if people kill their body, they will immediately be transported to the presence of Christ. David closes by saying, I must perform my vows to you, O God. I will render my thank offering. For you have delivered my soul from death, yes, my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. David had firm confidence that God was not going to forsake him and that God would deliver him. Christians, what do you do when you are surrounded on every side? David's given us an example here. Because each one of us is going to face troubles in life, most likely right now. And these attacks from other people, they hurt us deeply, and you're going to feel alone and be tempted to despair. 
People may be all around you, but no one seems to notice and no one is coming to your aid. Turn to the Lord, pray for His help, and ask for His deliverance. Dive deeply into His Word and read as much as you can to remind yourself that you are not alone and remind you who God is. Remind yourself of His promises. Remind yourself of who you are in Christ. The enemy of our souls has sought to divide us through different political views, COVID-19, vaccination choices, schooling choices, and in many ways, he's succeeded. We're often so busy and so distracted, we don't have much time for our fellow church members, and this makes us spiritually vulnerable. And I'm not talking to everybody, but I'm talking to most of us, including myself. Time's here that we're going to be facing intense opposition from the world. And how are we going to respond? One of God's gracious gifts to us as believers is the body of Christ. We are members of a body. We need to stop living as self-sufficient, individualistic, self-absorbed people as though this is some sort of social club because it's not. It's the church of the living God that was purchased with his own blood. And as things get more difficult, we need to become more and more of a tight-knit biblical community. Because how can we minister to each other, bear one another's burdens, or help one another stand firm in the Lord if we barely know each other? If we barely interact with each other? As the times grow more hostile, we need the Lord, we need His Word, and we need this body. Let's close in prayer. Father, I pray, I pray that no matter what any individual is going through here this morning, I pray that they would know you through faith in your Son, Jesus Christ. And I pray for those knowing you, that they would come to you and they would pour out their hearts and they would cast their burdens upon you. And I pray that we as the body, that we would know each other well enough, that we would trust each other enough, that we would bear one another's burdens and help each other to stand firm in the Lord until Jesus comes or calls us home. Help us to have the courage, the boldness, and the wisdom to do that. And I pray for our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan. Help them to stand firm in the Lord who has overcome the world. In Jesus' name, amen.